Michelle. Okay. So today, welcome to Bon Jovi Discussions Part 3. The guest I have today really needs no introduction at all. So today, we have the one and only Celac. Hey there. Uh, so I really want to thank you for coming on today and chatting. It's truly an honor, and I can't believe I get this opportunity. So thank you very much. Oh no problem, man. Anytime. Actually, and no, I, I don't mean I don't mean that. Not anytime at all. Just uh, now. <laughs> uh, obviously, I have your permission to record and upload to YouTube, correct? Yes, of course. Cool, cool. All right, so we'll get started. What made you want to learn to play guitar, and what was the first song you learned? Um, I was uh. I was five, and my dad very musical, and um, so he, you know, not not just dropping hints that I should play an instrument. He 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 bought instruments. He bought like plastic ukuleles, and then once I was like, hey, he's playing a melody on this plastic ukulele. He actually bought me an electric guitar, and I was five, living in a modest home, and so for him to go out and spend that money on an electric guitar was a big was a big deal. But uh, that was his passion, and he kind of uh, imposed that passion upon me. But uh, it stuck, you know. And before I knew it, I was learning and singing and playing Elvis Presley songs. And I, I think the first one was Blue Suede Shoes. And then once I got t Teddy Bear down, I had a whole Elvis set. So it's, uh, I'd be playing for family and friends coming over. And then before you knew it, it was at a Greek wedding. And uh, it was just, uh, that's when I thought, like, people started going crazy. So that's when I thought, this is this is what I'm here to do. That was your calling? When I was eight. Wow. <laughs> that's really cool. So you just grew up and you learned different songs? and, and Yeah, before I knew it, before I knew it, you know, it, it turned into, you know, Black Sabbath and Van Halen. So it, uh, you know, the rock and roll started flowing in and, um and then I knew early on that I really had to develop my own style and my own, uh, I didn't want to be a copycat. So I, I just worked really hard at honing in on my uh, my individuality as a player. When would you say that you developed your own style, like the way you play now? Um, it started early. I was like probably 16. I really started honing in on what I thought I I had that other people didn't because you know when you're when you're a young guitar player and you you're you live in a community there's other guitar players and sometimes you're rivals and sometimes you like get together and just jam and learn from each other but I was I I I excelled above a lot of my peers so I I wasn't learning any learning anything from them so I would just do anything that would help me excel so I I took bazooki lessons since I was Greek and I'd learned a lot of bazooki early on, but I really wanted to learn a technical, a more technical aspect of the instrument. And I applied that to my picking technique, which just took it over the top. It's a it's a very articulate instrument. So when you apply the same picking to guitar, people are like, what, what, what the hell? Where'd you get that picking style? I'm like, yeah, man, I learned it from bazooki. <laughs> Which I think is, I was just watching one of your guitar clinics from last June, and I was watching you tune your strings to bazooki, and I thought bazooki tuning, cool. yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, all right, next question. Uh, in the '80s, you formed your first band, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sidonex, which is your name, last name reversed. Yes, sir. Uh, and I know you've also played with uh, Alva or Auto Nova, Triumph, 
and worked with obviously with many other artists. Yeah. But my question is, how did the drill form? Well, it's I had moved to Los Angeles in '97 with with my ex-wife who was a singer and we had started a couple of different bands but then we we started this band called powder and it, it really started to take off in la because it was very different and you can imagine how many people how many bands and artists moved to la to follow their dreams so he opened up an la weekly and there was like forty thousand bands playing every week so if you didn't do anything to stand out you just got lost in the shuffle so we did a lot to stand out, and it was mostly her. Like she's just a character, and and we had femme bots in the show that wore the same outfit as her, and and then before you know it, she was doing like Cirque du Soleil stuff in the show. But she really started taking the reins, and and it started being more about her than me, and 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 I thought that's cool because we write the song, the music together, and then. By around 2003, I think, I was feeling like she was taking more control and I was kind of, you know, being pushed to the side. So I started, okay, well, I'm just going to start another band and I'm going to write lyrics that you wouldn't sing and sing melodies that you wouldn't sing and play guitar the way you wouldn't want it in your band. And that's that became the drills. Wow, that's really cool. Well, I mean, I that feel like... Good. I feel like when you're an artist, if you have different canvases to paint on, then I feel uh, it's fortunate. Like in this case, like now at, at this present time, my two canvases are the drills on one side and Bon Jovi on the other side. So that's that's a very fortunate uh, <laughs> and blessed situation yeah. to be in where, as a musician. And that's why I really like um, watching watching you play is like I like seeing you in Bon Jovi and then I also like seeing you play in the drills because it is a two different spectrum. Oh, it really is. But yeah, thanks yeah. for noticing. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. All right, next question. You're obviously hugely known to be a part of Bon Jovi, but you're very underrated for the drills, which I think is an incredible band. Uh my favorite drill songs would be Beautiful Apartment and Evil Robot Acoustic. Wow. Um, but I know neither of them have been released um, acoustic. I remember I, la I asked you last year on a Twitter Q&A if you'd ever released Beautiful Pony oh, Acoustic. Oh, yeah, right. Um, but with Evil Robot, I think it's such a really cool song. And I know I want you to, like, release it one day. But obviously the lyrics are – you kind of get the gist from the lyrics. But how did you come up with Evil Robot? Well, you know, it's funny. You, you know, when you're working in an office space, like I actually did work at an office space for a bit when I was a struggling artist in in uh, L.A. and I was actually my office space was Zappa Records. I worked in the shipping department, shipping Zappa <laughs> um, merchandise all over the world. And me and my friends, me and a couple of friends, we were working there. It's Scott and Nisky, and there was a couple of girls that were working in the front office. And basically, we the ex-girlfriend thing came up a lot and and not only do guys have ex-girlfriends but girl current girlfriends have to deal with ex-girlfriends of present boyfriends so right. somebody would come in a girl would come in and go man i can't believe his girlfriend is still calling him and i'm like wow so even girls have ex-girlfriend problems so 
And then ex-girlfriend, and then at the time I was going through, what's a clever way to say this? Because basically, I feel like everything's been set. So it's just finding a different way to say something, you know, and make it, I'm I'm very tongue-in-cheeky with the drills, and uh, very, uh, it's very interpretive. You you have to read between the lines. But then sometimes, once in a while, I'll be like, you know what, it's like ex-girlfriends are evil robots. Sure. And then, uh, and then I thought, hey, well, that's a song. Yeah. So that's, that's how that came about. Yeah. Like I said, I think that song is so good, and I hope you release it someday. With the I'm sure I will. <laughs> um, okay. Next question is: You released "Stupid Good Looking," "Stupid Good Looking" Part One last year, which is obviously a great album. Thanks. Um, and I'm really excited to see Part Two. What could we expect on Part Two? Um. It's very it's very interesting because we recorded um, we recorded fourteen drummers to make one drum fest record, but we started in two thousand fourteen, and by the time we had everybody recorded, it was two thousand nineteen. So the problem was it was too many songs. It was like nobody wants a 14-song record anymore. Like the public, I feel like fans, they all they, they, everybody wants content, but not all at the same time. So that's why it became volumes. So there isn't, the, the difference is there's six other drummers that aren't on volume one. And in some cases, I wrote, the, the material for that drummer, like for instance, Tommy Lee's on volume two. And I wrote this song with Tommy Lee in mind, you know, Kenny Aronoff, I wrote a song with Kenny Aronoff in mind. And then uh, same thing with uh, Liberty DeVito. I wrote a song with Liberty DeVito in mind. So you have different, um, I've worked with all these guys and have a relationship with these guys. And so when you get to in the studio and you make music, you just feel like you're in a band for an hour and a half and you get to just, you know, create. So every, every drummer brought a different something to the table, which is amazing, you know, because we got a lot of it on, on, uh, on camera. And you get to see drummers not only behind the kit, but their personalities away from the kit and, it totally makes sense. Oh man, you drum like that because you're this guy. So there's a lot of uh, I we actually when we were driving around in the UK from gig to gig this month earlier this month we I played some of the new material for the for the guys uh, our tour manager Carl and and uh, Craig our driver and and they're like wow this stuff is it sounds like growth. Like, it sounds like the drills have grown. And I'm like, yeah, see, I don't see that. I feel like we have different faces and different um, things to say. And it's just everything's an extension of itself. Yeah, I think the the last album, Super Good Looking, is probably the best one yet. But I also love the uh, Kick Your Ass in 17 Minutes album, which is, I think, your first one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Tico's on one of these new songs, right? And, uh, he is, but I don't think he's. Go- I think he's going to be on Volume Three. Oh, there's a. Oh, nice. If there is a Volume Three, it might. It, it'll either be a Volume Three, or we're going to scratch the Volume thing and just make a new record. Yeah, that works too. 
And he um, can just be a, a guest drummer because his track is pretty awesome. Cool. Well, I'm excited to hear that one too. Um, next one is um, congratulations on being a different artist. Uh, Thank you. How did um, that happen, and how did you come up with having four figures on your on your guitar? Um, the action figure happened a really really long time ago. I just I started doing that because I started taking the neck pickup out because I I didn't use it, and some of my favorite guitars are one pickup guitars. And I think there's a charm to a guitar just having one pickup. So it's uh, it just made sense that if I wasn't going to use one to not have one. And instead of just going out and buying one pickup guitars, take the next pickup out and do something really interesting. And if you can find an action figure the right size, it looks kind of cool. And um, I like, you know, I like, I like that. Uh, I like giving when people give a, a, a second glance at something. You know, sometimes it's the band, sometimes it's something in the guitar, sometimes it's a lyric, you know. Right. So I I like making, you know, I love giving people whiplash. But, uh, and, you know, it's something, you you always got to come up with something that's, that represents who you are as a person. So I've always loved action figures, and now I get to share action figures with my son. But it's funny. I, I took I stole his Robin for the, the the red SG. He was like, he said, "Hey, Daddy, you took Robin." I go, "Yeah, buddy. Yeah, sorry." <laughs> and he's like, "You know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna want that back, right?" I'm like, "Dude, you're sick. I'll go get you ten Robins next week." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's important to have like your art on a guitar. Well, yeah. I mean, Eddie Van Halen had stripes on his guitars. Randy Rhodes had polka dots on his guitars. There's a lot of people that have that are a lot of guitar players that have like Steve Vai. He's got a, a monkey grip in his guitar. You know, people have a lot of things associated with them as players and as people. And I, I just thought it'd be cool if I did something like action figures. Figures. Yeah. But um, the thing I didn't get to the Gibson thing. A Gibson was always like when I was growing up, all of people that I loved, all the guitar players that I loved were always Gibson players. You know, it was Black Sabbath and um, ACDC and Jimmy Page from Zeppelin and and uh, all these guys were using Gibsons, you know, you know, the Scorpions with the Flying V and all that stuff. So it was, it, it, I always loved Gibson and I've, I've always had a few Gibsons lying around. Um, my problem with them in the later years was I, I didn't think their quality control was very good. So, um, but when they approached me last year, they said, hey, man, we totally really locked down our quality control. Why don't you come to Nashville and take some uh, tours of of the factories? So I did that, and I was completely blown away. Not Not only did they modify each factory so it was more efficient, but when I was walking through and talking to people, people love working there. Like whether they're putting binding on a Les Paul or or wiring a pickup, everybody's just, hey, man, how you doing? Yeah, good to see you. Yeah, oh, I love it here. So that really speaks loudly to me. As It's, it's, it's like a family. I feel like I've joined a family. So that was, uh, that was the, the deciding factor. So I'm assuming we're going to see a lot of Gibson guitars being played on the upcoming 2020 tour. Oh yeah. Oh 
yeah, I got vaults, I got space, I'm, I'm, filling, <laughs> I'm filling them with Gibson. And, I still, um, what was that? I, I was going to say, I still think you should bring um, that, what do you call it, the Mountain Dew guitar? Oh, the sparkly green one? Yeah, that's that's yeah. such a cool guitar, and I think it sounds great. Yeah, it's a cool, it is a cool guitar. So that's not, well, that's not well, a Gibson, though, is it? No, it's not, but... There's a, there, I might be getting a Gibson version of the Mountain Dew guitar. Ooh, even better. You never know, right? That's right. Always good to have surprises. Yeah. Uh, next question is, um, it's a Bon Jovi question. Uh, obviously, your first Bon Jovi gig was at Jazz Fest in 2011. What was it like learning those songs so quickly and rehearsing with the band and then going out on stage for that first very first show? Well, I um, I I learned the songs. I did get a little bit of notice to learn the songs, but and then when I heard that we were going to be rehearsing, I was relieved because I thought I might have to learn a bunch of songs and just walk on stage and do sound check and then a show. No, problem. but there is there is no sound check at festivals. So. And, but I, I did get to check my ears because I'd never used in-ears before. So I had to get to the, the festival stage at like 9 a.m. and go through the amps and in-ears and stuff with, with the Kumi, the tech. And and then uh, I got to relax until we went on. The, the, uh, the, the part about rehearsing was I really thought we were going to get time to rehearse. But we we rehearsed like a couple hours one day. And then a couple of hours the next day. And it, it, the funny thing about rehearsing was, like, nobody knew really what was going on. But when I flew to New York to rehearse, Richie had already uh, checked into rehab. And I, and I climbed into, into a van in New York, and I sat beside Chico, and he goes, hey, thanks for doing this. And I'm like, oh, wow. sure, sure, okay, no problem. So we get to rehearsal and I plug in and John just starts going through song after song after song after song. And uh, I don't think anybody knew what what they were um, getting into. So I had I, I walked in and I knew that if I, I knew I had to deliver, I knew I had to be my bring my A game and I knew I had to, you know, wow everybody. So after like, I don't know, 10 songs, Tico was like, who the heck is this guy? Because <laughs> I was just nailing everything. And if I didn't, I said, hey, I know what I did wrong there. I'll, I'll have it right next time. And then before I knew it, um, yeah, so walking on stage in front of 50,000 people, it was, I just had to stay out, out of my head. Because if I would have got into my head, I would have probably blown it. Yeah. So, you have to like keep yourself at a distance. And uh, to me, I was just saying to myself, look, man, you've been playing and singing your entire life. This is just Bon Jovi songs. You got this. Don't worry about it. And then I just left it there. If I would have been like, Oh my God, look at all the people. Oh my God, this is my amp. Oh my God. I've never played 12 string in front of 50,000 people before. And, but I just, uh, I just stayed away from that, um, the panic, you know, and you just got to keep it, Real and your feet on the ground and and go. Well, I think you did an amazing job, and you know I'm gonna sound like I'm praising you here, which I guess I am. When we found out about Richie having to go and uh, 
I remember the Bon Jovi fandom and myself, we were all talking to each other, nervous about who's the guy stepping in, is he going to try to replace or blah, blah, blah. And we were all just nervous about it. And I remember I was either live streams or the videos went on YouTube for Jazz Fest, but I thought you were incredible. Oh, thanks, so, man. You you were off the cuff. You had your own rendition, and you know it, you you could tell it was coming from the heart playing. And I saw you live for the first time with this. I've been to about fifty three Bon Jovi shows, and I think I've seen you with Bon Jovi for about twenty four of those shows. And <laughs> that's those, funny. That's that's almost half. Yeah, it almost is. And I gotta tell you. I think those were probably my favorite shows because you just add a certain style and rendition to it, and it's enjoyable. It really is. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So uh, next one is, what was it like to become an official member of the band in 2016? I have to, I have to admit, it still doesn't seem uh, real because it's actually still surreal walking on stage with these guys sometimes. Wow. So, and even even after like forty or fifty, now it's been almost wow. I want to say it's been almost two hundred shows or something. But even when it was like ninety shows, still in two thousand thirteen, I it was it was still like you know you'd be walking on stage and you're like, hey, it's Sean Bon Jovi. <laughs> Dude, you you see him every day. Just you know. Yeah, I guess you get. I guess you know. Some in some way you get used to it. And, well, yeah, I mean, I still don't feel like a member. It doesn't feel like, uh, um, you know, you are. people, I, I mean, it's it's on paper. Yeah, it, it's cool. You know, I mean, that's I mean, it's still, you know, I mean, I, 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 I don't, nothing upsets me about, you know, when people are like, you know, we want Richie back or it's not Bon Jovi without Richie. I, it doesn't, stuff like that doesn't bother me because, yeah, if, if it was a real world, it would be, I mean, if it was, you know, if it was uh, the real Bon Jovi, it would be Richie on stage, you know? It would be. Yeah. So, I mean, stuff like that, I don't let it affect me because I, I just want a, the band to be the best it can be. So when I walk on stage, I respect the band. I respect Richie and what he brought to the band. I respect the fans. And I think that's why it, it worked out so well. Exactly, and I, I think in 2011, people were wondering if you were going to re- replace them. You know, people weren't ready for that transition. Right. And I think I think by 2013, you really won the, a lot of the fans over. Yeah, it was a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're, you're doing good. Um, so in April 2018, Bon Jovi was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I know you've been asked this, and, you know, I think I even asked you, and I got like a, it was cool on Twitter or something. Yeah. Uh, what what was it like? What was your story like to be able to meet Richie and Alec and have the whole band together on stage that night? What was that feeling like? That moment? It was. You know what? It was. It was. It was. Uh, that was the most surreal. Because I mean, I saw the New Jersey tour. I bought my tickets and took my girlfriend to the stadium show in Toronto, the CNE Grandstand, which isn't even there anymore. So I saw that band on stage. So to be on stage with that entire band, that was like, is this really happening right now? It was just, it was one of those moments, right? But at the same time, you know, it's, uh, everybody's doing their part. And, um, you know, we played the hits and it was fun. It was, I mean, if you go in overthinking everything, it becomes less fun. 
So I was I was just there to have fun and and support the band and and do my job at the same time. But uh, meeting Richie was really cool because we had a couple of rehearsals before we actually played in Cleveland, and that was kind of like, oh man, yeah, oh there he is, nice to see. And then he actually, I think he, one of our rehearsals was at Prudential Center in New Jersey, and he he came to soundtrack to rehearse for the Cleveland, and he actually stuck around for a little, wow. a, a little bit of the show, and uh, he was with the Kumi who uh, what is still his tech and still a really good friend of mine. And, and Takumi was like, wow, man. And Richie came up and he's like, wow, this guy's got chops. So it was it was, it was kind of nice to hear that. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an honor. What was it like to meet Alex? Was he? Oh, dude, Alex is like this, this little cool dude that just came on. It was like, wow, this guy, like the way he looks now, it's like he's got his own style. Yeah. You know, and he, he he's like a character in a movie. And yeah. Um, yeah, and he's just he's just he was just really cool. I mean, everybody was so cool. It was a really good it was a really good experience. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. I got four more questions for you. OK, uh, with the new 2020. Now, this is probably going to be a big one. And I know you. I have to be careful. With the new 2020 album coming up, what are you able to share about it? And what was your experience like recording this new album versus recording This House Is Not For Sale? Well, oh, the difference is easy. Um, in This House Is Not For Sale, I think it was, I was more of an afterthought. Like John had written all the songs with uh, John Shanks and, and uh, maybe a couple of other writers, but uh, the record was pretty much recorded. But then John thought, you know, Phil's a big part of this band now, and he should probably be on the album cover and probably in the videos. We should probably get him on the record as well. So I ended up going in as an afterthought to replace some guitars that had already been recorded on the four songs that I played on. So that ended up happening, and that was that was a great experience too because it was John wanting to include me and then giving me kind of like a chance to shine on the record. When it came to the new record, 2020, I was there from the beginning. So that was a completely different experience. Like we're all laying down the bed tracks. So I forget how many songs we recorded in 11 days. And it was just, it was like day in, day out. We were a band. And I felt like, wow, we're really like, you know, we're all here. Hugh's here on bass. Tico's on drums. Um, David Bryan's either on an organ or a, a grand piano in another room. And we're actually laying down these songs. You know, you got John Bon Jovi singing. You have John Shanks on another guitar in, uh, about 20 feet away. And we're looking at each other while I'm watching what he's doing and he was watching what I'm doing. So not only do we stay out of each other's way while we're recording we kind of compliment each other. We we really got that down after a few songs. So that was a, an, a really amazing experience. And I, I can't wait for people to hear how that came out. Oh, trust me. We're, we're really excited. Myself and millions of other fans, we're, we're excited for it. Because uh, we've, we've liked Unbroken and Limitless so far. So we're looking forward to it. Cool. Uh, next one. 
uh, for the Drills and Bon Jovi, when you're on stage, what songs are you really the most passionate about playing? Like, what songs do you look forward to playing every night when you're on stage? Um, hmm. Well, definitely, I really have a lot of fun with, uh, actually, I, you know what's even easier? I think there's a few songs that I love playing every night. Keep the Faith, obviously, because I get to really uh, let, uh, jump out of my box. And then uh, Living on a Prayer, obviously, because it's like a song that takes me back to when I was like 20 and in a bar and singing at the top of my lungs with all my friends. And it was a song of my youth. And so, and I still get goosebumps because it's like when I jump on that talk box, you never, I've never seen an audience get as electric as when that song kicks in. Wow. As soon as you hear that snare, it's like, the, uh, like whether you're in Israel or whether you're in Ohio or whether you're in at Madison Square Garden, the audience is losing its mind when that song comes on. Wow. It's, it's an incredible I, feeling. Um, and there are songs that, uh, like, I love, like, Born to Be My Baby is, is like, my, my wife's jam. That's probably her favorite Bon Jovi song. So every time I play it, um, and when we play in the States, she's been to a lot of shows. So I always locate her in the audience <laughs> and just play the song to her. So even if we're abroad or anywhere in the world, I just think of her every time we play that song. So that's another fave. Wow. And how about the drills? What drill song do you like playing the most every set? Oh, man. Um, it's it's funny. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's weird when it's your band because it's like a, it's being asked which child is your favorite. Yeah, that's true. Because you're basically the creator, right? It's like my mom is like, I can't tell you which is my favorite kid. And uh, actually, my mom goes, it's like, ask me which finger I would cut off. And I'm like, well, if I had to cut off a finger, it would be my pinky. (laughs) (laughs) You're totally missing the point. I'm like, I'm just saying. But anyways, um, I I love uh, playing – I love opening up with uh, You're Not Happy Till I'm Not Happy. Uh, I love playing um, Air Hockey Champion of the World. I love playing Talk You Off the Ledge. Uh, there are some songs that, uh, and I've really, I started singing, doing the broken down version of uh, Beautiful Apartment because uh, I just feel like when we play it's in its uh, in its punkier form, it it just, I don't think the message get, comes across. I don't think the uh, the uh, intent of the song comes across. So and then when I started breaking it down, we were getting I was getting a better response. So I I just kept doing that, and uh, I I enjoy that. I enjoy I love doing stuff that we do, which is like like when we do sunny days, and then at the end of sunny days I do the solo to Hotel California, or there's other songs that we do where I throw in a different like when we play something to say instead of going into the bridge. I go into the bridge of Dazed and Confused by Zeppelin, and then we come back to our own song. I love doing stuff like that. It's kind of like paying homage to my heroes, but at the same time delivering our our message. Wow. Um, Next question. Um, 
Can you share, I know you've probably told many, many stories, but can you share a memory that you find funny between you and the band that has happened while on tour or, or studio or whatever? Um, there was a, yeah, I have a lot of really great moments with, uh, with David Bryan on stage. And it's funny because you never know what's going to get filmed, right? You never know what's going to be on YouTube the next day. So he, uh, we were playing, we were playing one of dead or alive. I think it was way back in 2013. No, it could have been later. Could have been 2017. We were playing one of dead or alive and John was talking to the audience and, uh, he was about to count the band in, but then, uh, David started counting me in, in the, in the wrong place, you know, like trying to trick me. And, uh, and I gave him the finger. <laughs> <laughs> and then what do I see on YouTube the next day? Phil X giving David Bryan the finger. Oh gosh. I'm sure and nobody knows why. Nobody knows that it was warranted. They just think I'm giving him the finger for no reason. That's funny. Well, yeah, and so and that's the inside scoop right there. You heard it here. <laughs> uh, I, I like that. And the last question: What are your hopeful, hope, you know, with this whole quarantine thing going on right now? But what are your hopeful plans for the drills and Bon Jovi for this year and next year? Well, obviously, I want, I want, uh, I want to. With the drills, I want to finish what we started. You know, we had like uh, 16 shows planned for March. I should have been flying home today from Vienna. Wow. We lost yeah. Out. So we did eight shows in the UK, and instead of heading to Amsterdam, where the the Europe leg was going to kick off, uh, we just came home. So we didn't do the eight shows in Europe, which kind of sucks. So we're hoping to get back there later this year to finish off we had started because I believe the eight shows that we did in, in, in the UK, we had such a blast and uh, we got great reviews. And I think, I think a lot of people came out not expecting to, to get what they got, which is um, a really good punch in the face with, with music and, yeah. uh, and the show. So um, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. And of of course, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the with the Joby dates, but I'm hoping that uh, if if they are um, not happening in June, July, it's, it's later in the year. I hope uh, it's postponed. Yeah, it's got to be. No, nobody knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah, it's such a weird. It's such a weird. This has never happened in my lifetime, and I'm 54. Wow, like never been quarantined, never been in this isolation uh, kind of situation, um, you know, worried for my family, worried for my children, uh, and, and you know, and watching the rest of the world, they're either in, 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 in isolation themselves or being completely stupid and selfish and being out there and just uh, not, not having a care in the world. It's like they don't think it's real or something. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. I know, like the 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 the, the amount of deaths that happen daily is is scary. 
Oh yeah, and people are losing their jobs right now, and it's it, it's a shame, you know. So you know, if, if tour has to be postponed or events get canceled, you know, health comes first right now. Of course. That's, uh, of course. That's the most important. But I know I've I've tweeted this to you, uh, but I'm really hoping for some drills North American dates. I know probably. Yeah, man. I know. Me too. I'm I'm uh, we're working on it. We'll see what happens if. Uh, if everything gets back on track and uh, and people are going out again and people are doing shows again and venues are open again, which is later on down the road, after everybody's healthy and, and moving on, then uh, hopefully we'll get out to the East Coast. That would be awesome. That would be. Well, so I, I don't want to take any more of your time. And, and again, I sincerely appreciate you um, coming on and answering some questions and chatting and uh, – and you got those, it, Jerry. And for those that are listening, Phil is doing cameos. Uh, so if you go to the cameo website, you can book a cameo from Phil. Uh, I I actually booked one last week, and I thought it was killer. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, so, so go book those. Um, and Phil, thank you. Thank you again very much. No problem, buddy. All right. Thanks. We'll see ya. See ya.